This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Who was John F. Kennedy? What happened to the 35th president? And who was Lee Harvey Oswald? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. Tuesday, November 22nd, marked the 59th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, a somber day in American history. JFK was part of the 20th century's most significant political family dynasty. He was also a champion for the civil rights movement, working alongside civil rights leaders to combat segregation. While he was only 46 years old when he was killed, he left quite an impact, leading a lot of people to wonder why he was assassinated in Dallas, Texas in the fall of 1963. So what happened in the moments leading up to President John F. Kennedy's assassination? How did the world react in the days and weeks to follow? And what questions are there that still need to be answered about that fateful day? Here to talk me through all of this is investigator and editor of the JFK Facts blog, Jefferson Morley. Jefferson Morley joins me now. I mean, Jefferson, you have done so much research into JFK. I just want to start, first of all, thank you so much for coming on Getting School. I'm excited to have you. And I just want to start with your interest in JFK. Where'd all this come from? Well, um, I actually have a memory of it. I was in kindergarten at the time. And all I remember is that everybody was huddled around our black and white TV for a weekend Mm. and something big had happened. So, but that was not the origin of my interest. Um, I got interested in the JFK story in the 1980s um, and started reading a lot of the books about what happened in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963. And it it was very interesting to me. I was working as a reporter at the time and Um, I I didn't really know what to make of it. It seemed like it was ancient history and I had nothing to add to it. But then in 1992, Oliver Stone made his movie JFK, which was very popular and generated a lot of controversy and discussion. And at that time, the government said, we're going to release all of our records on the subject. This is about 30 years after the assassination of President Kennedy in 1992. And so at that time, The government said all government agencies have to release all their records related to the assassination. And a lot of this stuff had been secret ever since it happened. And so a whole bunch of new information came into the public record in the 1990s, things that had never been known before, results of the investigation, interviews, that sort of thing. And so there was a whole bunch of new material to report. I was working as a reporter at an editor at the Washington Post at the time. So I began to look at this new information that was coming out in the 1990s. And that was really where I got fascinated and really decided to 
plunge into the topic and really understand it in its totality. I mean, it's a fascinating story, obviously, a big moment in our history. Let's start from the beginning. Um, Can you just lay the scene for me of what exactly happened and why JFK was in Dallas, Texas? Right. Well, so first, President Kennedy um, had been elected in 1960, a senator from Massachusetts, the youngest man ever elected president at 43 years old. And he brought a whole new quality to the presidency, a kind of star quality. He was a very dry, handsome, funny man um, and was kind of a celebrity in his own right. He was the first of almost what you might call movie star presidents, a charismatic personality like Ronald Reagan, or Barack mm. Obama. Um, Kennedy was the first really modern president in that in that way. Um, so um, in 1963, he was going to Texas. His vice president, Lyndon Johnson, was from Texas, and he was looking ahead to the 1964 election. He was going to run for reelection, and he was feeling pretty good. He, he was pretty popular in the polls. He was generally a liberal politically, and there was a lot of controversies of the day, and a lot of people were attacking him and criticizing him, but he was pretty popular. So he went to Texas to show that he was going to be running for re-election to show that he was there with his vice president. Texas is a very big state, so it would obviously be important in any presidential election. So he landed in um, Dallas on the morning of November 22nd, and the plan was for him to go on a motorcade parade through the heart of downtown Dallas, which he did. And there was a long line of cars. He was riding in an open car with the Texas governor, John Connolly, and his wife, Nellie Connolly. And he was riding in the car also with his wife, Jackie Kennedy, the first lady. Um, They went down through downtown Dallas. It was a very warm welcome, big crowds cheering, um, no no signs of demonstrations or criticism. And at the very end of that motorcade, the president's car passed through an area called Dealey Plaza, which is a big park at the edge of downtown Dallas. And as as his car passed through that, area, shots rang out, a series of shots. Now, how many shots there were is something that people still debate about, but people said three or four or five shots rang out. The president was hit in the back by a bullet. Texas Governor John Connolly was hit in the back by a bullet, and President Kennedy was hit in the head by a bullet. Um, So uh, the president is badly wounded, Um, The car rushes away, goes to the hospital. The doctors at Parkland Hospital try and save the president's life, but the head wound is just too massive. And President Kennedy is declared dead at one o'clock on November 22nd, 1963. Um, About 90 minutes later, um, a a man is arrested uh, uh, named Lee Oswald. He was a former Marine. He worked in an office building overlooking the motorcade route, um, and he was charged with uh, shooting the president. Um, He denied that. He denied that he had killed the president. Um, And the next day, when he was being taken to another jail, another man stepped out and shot him. Um, Sort of a baffling and unbelievable series of events. A man was actually shot dead on live TV. It's the first time it had ever happened. So 
these com- these two events, the, the president was assassinated and that the, the man who was charged with assassinating the president was killed. This was the shocking and baffling events of November 1963. And it's why people still talk about it. Wow. I mean, it's there is so much to the story, too. So when when uh, Lee Oswald stepped out of the jail, who was the person who then shot him? So that was a man named Jack Ruby. He owned a nightclub in Dallas. He was a kind of a seedy character. Um, you know, he, he, he owned a strip club. He was very close with the police. He got into a lot of fights with his patrons, you know, who wouldn't pay their bill or whatever. You know, he was a tough guy. He was, he admired organized crime figures. Um, and uh, so, you know, the question was, well, why would Ruby kill Oswald? And, and what he said was um, he just wanted to, you know, he didn't, he didn't really talk about why he did it. So that was, you know, that was another baffling part of the story was, you know, what was going on here? What could explain this series of events? And that's what people still argue about and wonder about. Was there any information before Oswald was shot? I know it all happened really fast, but was there anything that he had said or um, alluded to of why he would shoot the president? No, when he when 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 he was asked, he was brought out for a press conference on Saturday, November twenty third. Because he denied it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and they, and he said somebody said, "Why did you shoot the president?" He said, "I didn't shoot anybody. I'm just a patsy." Now, a patsy—that's a phrase for a fall guy, somebody who is designated to take the blame for the actions of somebody else. That's when that's that, that's the meaning of the word patsy. So Oswald denied that shooting the president. And in fact, you know, when investigators went to look, Oswald had never expressed any particular hostility towards JFK to the extent he had talked about him. He he thought that he was a pretty ordinary politician, nothing special. Oswald admired his stand on civil rights in particular, uh, which was unusual for for a young white man from the South who didn't have a college degree. Oswald was sympathetic with the civil rights movement, but he never showed any animus towards JFK, which was another baffling thing about the crime. And indeed, the Warren Commission, which said that Oswald had indeed killed the president all by himself, they never they never found a motive for the crime. They couldn't say why Oswald had done it. So this is part of the enduring mystery is that the prime suspect denied it. And investigators could find no reason why he might have shot the president, even though they concluded that he did. What was it that helped them conclude that he did? Because I know they I know the FBI conducted about 20, what, 250 or I guess 25,000, right? 25,000 interviews, something like that. And so what was it that finally made them go, "Okay, this guy did it and he acted alone? Um, Well, the, the chief evidence against Oswald was there was a rifle found in the Texas School Book Depository. That was an office building overlooking the, uh, the, the presidential motorcade route. And gunfire had come from the high windows of that, of that building. So there was a rifle that was found in there. Uh, and that was a, a, a rifle that he had ordered under an assumed name. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, about a year earlier, so that was a that was a key piece of evidence against him. 
uh, probably uh, the most important piece of evidence. Nobody saw him on the sixth floor at the time of the shooting. And right after the shooting, he was down on the second floor. So, you know, some people say he, he did not fire the shots. He couldn't have been in two places at once. So um, that was probably the most, the strongest piece of evidence against Oswald. I see. So just kind of to, to paint the picture of that day, just to go back to that for a second, what happened? What So Vice President Lyndon Johnson, where was he at the time of the shooting? And then Jackie Kennedy, she was also in the car. Um, what happened right. to all everyone else and, and what was the reaction? OK, so so the president is taken to Parkland Hospital where the doctors try and save his life mm-hmm. to no avail. He's declared dead. So the Secret Service. Um, takes the president's body, um, First Lady Jackie Kennedy and Vice President, soon to be President Johnson, back to the Air Force One jet that they had come in on. Um, and uh, on the, they fly back to Washington um, with the president's body. And on the flight back, Johnson is sworn in as the 36th president by a judge who's on the flight. And there's a picture it's a famous picture of President Johnson taking the oath of office. And he Johnson insisted that Jackie Kennedy be by his side so that people would know that there was this continuity of, of, of uh, in, in, in terms of being the new president. So they flew back to Washington um, and the president's body was taken to Bethesda Naval Hospital for the autopsy. Um, and uh, and then. Um, the president was body laid in state in Washington over that weekend. And then on the following Monday, he was buried at Arlington National Cemetery. By then, President Johnson was uh, had assumed power and had begun to try and get control of the investigation of the president's death. And two days after Oswald had been killed, President Johnson and FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover agreed that they needed to show that Oswald had acted alone. Now, understand, the investigation of the crime has barely begun. And the president and the head of the FBI already know the conclusion that they want. They do not want an investigation into anything besides Oswald. And that was the tone that was set early on. You, you referred to, to, the, to the FBI investigation and how massive it was. That's true. They interviewed a lot of people. But... They did not really try and get at who might have been behind the crime. They simply assumed that Oswald was guilty and looked for evidence of that. So it was not exactly a comprehensive investigation, and it would come in for scathing criticism Mm. um, when people saw what the FBI um, had done. Uh, It was a very superficial investigation in a lot of ways. And a, lot, and a lot of contradictory evidence was not taken into account. For example, um, the Dallas police did a test. It was called a paraffin test, which is a test of your skin. If, if you fire a rifle and the, and the gun you know, explodes when, when the bullet goes out the barrel, a little bit of material is blasted into the air. And uh-huh. it's detectable when it settles on your skin. So if Oswald had fired the rifle the paraffin test would come back positive, okay? The paraffin test didn't come back positive. They didn't have proof that Oswald had fired that gun that day. Wow. The, the, another question was, was there a, 
Was there a print on the, the gun? Was there a fingerprint on the gun? A Dallas, um, uh, one Dallas police officer said, fingerprint specialist said, yes, there was a, a fingerprint on the barrel, not on the stock of the gun where you would hold it, but on the barrel of the gun where the bullet comes out. Um, but uh, that could not, other fingerprint experts could not confirm that there was such a fingerprint there. And one, and one fingerprint expert said, that's not a new print. That's not a print from, uh, you know, today. That's an old print from, from, from a while ago. So the, the, the point being that the, the chain of custody, the evidence against Oswald was not airtight. It was, it, it was open to question at best. And some of it was, was simply false. Um, so, you know, there was a kind of rush to judgment that Oswald had done this. In that and and so the 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 government's explanation was Oswald killed the president for reasons known only to himself, and Ruby killed Oswald because he was just driven crazy by the assassination. It's it's it, it's a not very plausible sounding story on its face, mm -hmm. but that is what the Warren Commission concluded about nine months later in September 1964, and at that time a lot of people. There was a lot of skepticism about what, what, what was going on here. And the Warren Commission tempered that temporarily. But within a few years, um, public skepticism began to rise. People read the Warren Commission's report, which was an 800-page document, a very thick book. And the Warren Commission also released its evidence, which was 26 volumes of statements, uh, interviews, photographs, all related to the to, to, to the president's assassination. When people began to read those 26 volumes, they said, the government's story doesn't make sense. It's, it, there's a lot of reasons to doubt that it's true, factually, logically. And so people began to question that and say the Warren Commission got it wrong, and, and there was a lot they didn't know. And so that's when you began to have counter-narratives of the assassination, what some people call conspiracy theories. But, you know, the government had a theory of the case, which was one man alone and unaided killed the president for no reason. And another guy came along and killed him because he felt like it. Mm -hmm. okay? Now, other people thought that doesn't make sense. And so they tried to come up with better stories, something that made more sense about how this might have happened. So... That, there's where you have your so-called conspiracy theories. And over time, what happened was, as people learned more about the assassination, they learned that the government had not been telling the truth. There, there was a lot of information of, related to the assassination that the FBI and CIA and Secret Service had never shared with the Warren Commission. Hmm. Um, and so over time, skepticism about the Warren Commission grew um, and has always remained Strong. And in fact, if you do a public opinion poll today of, you know, Americans, you will probably find about 60 percent of Americans don't believe the war. Wow. Yeah. OK, so two questions on that. I could imagine that part of the reason why the government wanted to kind of say, OK, this is Oswald. Let's just move on is because there was a lot of unrest about this situation. But what would be their motivation for them to only want to look at Oswald and kind of mislead or tell untruths in the Warren Commission? What would be the motivation of that? Well, you know, 
this is the ultimate failure of presidential security, right? So, you know, people at the Secret Service, their jobs were on the line, right? Like, how did this happen? Did somebody fail to do their job? Same with the FBI um, and same with the CIA. At the time, in 1963, the FBI and the CIA said, we didn't know anything about this guy, Oswald, or, or very little. Um, and so we had no idea that he might be a threat to the president. Mm. Okay. Now, that statement that the CIA and FBI gave to the Warren Commission, especially in the case of the CIA, it was simply false. They did have a lot of information about Lee Harvey Oswald. And so, you know, the Secret Service and the CIA had things to hide. The CIA knew all about the man. Before this happens, they knew about him before. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Senior CIA officials knew all about Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, and right before the assassination, six weeks before the assassination, they knew who he was. They knew where he lived. They knew his politics. They knew his personal life. They knew he had been arrested recently. And after the assassination, they pretended like they didn't know anything. Wow. And it wasn't until the 1990s that we began to get the full story. And that's when I got interested in the story, because this dimension of the story, what the CIA had known about the man who supposedly killed the president, that was not something that the CIA ever disclosed. That was something that they chose to hide. Well, why would they choose to hide that? Because it made them look bad, right? If they knew all about this guy, why didn't they detect that he was a threat to the president? So, you know, that was an obvious question. So, you know, why would people, why would those agencies lie? To protect their jobs. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. What was it? So you, you mentioned a few things that the CIA did know about Lee Oswald. But what was the... Re- so... Did they flag him? Is this? Did they start doing research into this guy because he was a potential threat? What cued them off to even look into him? He had been in the Marines, and in 1959, he quit the Marines, and he moved to the Soviet Union. He, he was a communist or a socialist, um, and he decided that he wanted to live in the Soviet Union. And so he went to the Soviet Union. This is a guy who's only 20 years old, who never finished high school. Um, although he had he had a lot of native intelligence, he wasn't he wasn't a, 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 a smart, capable guy, and so he moved to the Soviet Union and he lived there for a couple of years. He married a Russian woman. He got tired of it because it was a very regimented way of life um, under communism, uh, and so he returned to the United States in 1962 with his wife. So that was why they were interested in. And, and, and that is a perfectly legitimate and understandable interest. Here's a serviceman. And Oswald even had a security clearance because he was a radar operator. So there was a reason to pay attention to him. Right. Was he, was he going to give the Russians secrets, military secrets? Um, uh, were they going to recruit him as a spy? It's a very natural thing for the CIA to pay attention to him. That, that's not the problem that, the problem is they didn't disclose the interest after he killed the president. Uh, 
they 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 really minimized. They said we didn't we didn't know anything about this guy, and that was simply false. And, we, and now we have their own records that shows that it was false. What did his wife have to say about all of this? Marina Oswald was you know uh, Oswald was twenty four when he was arrested and killed. Um, his wife was twenty three. Mm-hmm. She barely spoke English. She was terrified. Um, and uh, uh, initially, she said that, um, um, I mean, she didn't know anything about, she was at home that day. Um, she, she didn't know anything about, uh, you know, what he had done that day. Um, she later testified that he had talked, he had, you know, that he had handled his gun. He had practiced uh, shooting it at times. Um, he talked about hijacking a plane. Her testimony was generally incriminating towards him mm-hmm. at the time of the Warren Commission. Over time, Marina Oswald changed her mind, and she later concluded that her husband was indeed a patsy and that other people were responsible. Interestingly enough, Marina Oswald is still alive. Marina Oswald lives in Texas. Wow. That's I, I, from just a legality perspective. Is there a possibility this case, you know, people revisit this case, uh, knowing everything that we know now in hindsight? Is there a possibility of what? Of looking back. I mean, just trying to find if Lee Oswald was truly (laughs) acting alone. I mean, I know it's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of chatter about it and a lot of different theories. But is this something that could potentially be revisited? Uh, I mean, it, it, it is revisited all the time. I mean, given the level of, of, of skepticism about the, the government's official finding, you know, um, there's no agreement about it. And, you know, we don't have all of the records related to the assassination. You know, I, I mentioned before that in the 1990s, we, first, we all the records began to be declassified. But that is a process that is not yet over. And on Last year, President Biden ordered all federal agencies to release the, the rest of their JFK assassination files. And there's still a, a very large amount of material that is classified in one way or another, about 16,000 different documents. So most of those are held by the FBI and the CIA. So, you know, we don't have all of the records of the assassination yet. So without a complete historical record, it's not really it can't really be a closed subject. So that's where we stand right now. We have almost all of the government's records on the subject, but not all of them. So I think, you know, it's still an open question as to what happened on November 22nd. Okay. What are some of the other theories that people have come up with? So, you know, right after the assassination, that weekend, pollsters began to ask people, what do you think happened? Do you think there was more than one person involved? And right from the start, about 60 to 70 percent of people thought there was more than one person involved. There had to be given this strange series of events. So that skepticism has always been there right from the start, even before there were any conspiracy theories. As the critics began to read the Warren Commission evidence and write books about it and kind of summarize and come up with alternative explanations, there were various kind of theories offered. Um, So one was that, um, uh, and this was popularized in Oliver Stone's film, 
that the president was killed by enemies within his own government mm. um, who opposed his policies, who opposed his liberal policies. Um, and this, this was a conspiracy organized in New Orleans uh, where Oswald had lived um, and uh, succeeded in framing him as, uh, as the person who killed the president when he really didn't. Um, another you know, popular theory at the time was that Oswald, who was, had lived in the Soviet Union and was personally kind of leftist or socialist in his opinions, had killed Kennedy on behalf of Fidel Castro, the communist leader of Cuba. Um, that was another theory. Um, because Jack Ruby was close to organized crime figures, there was the theory that um, organized crime had orchestrated the assassination and that Ruby had killed Oswald to make sure that he didn't talk about the organized crime dimension of the plot. Uh, so that was another popular theory. Another theory was um, that the KGB, the Russian intelligence service, had somehow got to Oswald while he lived in the Soviet Union and recruited him as an assassin. Mm. So, um, uh, and then uh, those are probably the most popular theories. And then there's kind of a uh, LBJ did it. And this is a popular theory on the internet that somehow President Johnson, Vice President Johnson had orchestrated the killing of President Kennedy so that he could become president. So you have this wide variety of, of, of explanations. Um, I would say that, you know, so, so which is it? Well, let's take them one by one. There's not a lot of evidence for the KGB did it theory, and, and nothing new has emerged in recent years that lends credence to it. So I think that that one can be thrown out. Mm -hmm. um, the LBJ did it. it, it it's, it's popular. It kind of makes simple sense. Um, uh, President Lyndon Johnson was a very ruthless, ambitious politician, but there isn't a lot of evidence for it. There's nothing to connect Johnson to Oswald or any of the events that happened in, in, in Dealey Plaza. And Johnson's reaction to the assassination is um, uh, doesn't betray anything about a man who might have had foreknowledge. Um, the Castro did it theory is, um, you know, popular. Um, I don't put a lot of credence in it. I don't think there's a lot of evidence uh, to support it. There's some circumstantial evidence um, and serious, some serious people believe it. Um, people in the CIA and that sort of thing. So uh, that's another popular one. And then there's the Oliver Stone thesis, which I would say, you know, Oliver Stone has one take, you know, on a more general take of historians uh, is that the, the president was killed by enemies in his own government. Um, and uh, I think that the new, the evidence that we've learned in the last 30 years, the newest evidence tends to point us in that direction. Yeah, I, I feel like that's kind of, I mean, look, I am no expert, but, you know, and they say someone is is murdered, they always look at the family first, um, right. and, you know, but, but it would make sense why someone would want him. I, I, there are a lot of ways that are reasons why people might want a president dead for selfish reasons. So that theory sounds the most kind of 
airtight, but if you can call a theory airtight, I guess it doesn't really make sense. But uh, it, it is interesting because so many things have come out since then. And like I said before, hindsight is 2020. So um, as we get more information and as things are declassified, uh, we only have more and more things to look at. Uh, yes. I, I, am, I, I am curious about he was a fourth president, American president to be assassinated. So how did the security change after that? And what was the government's response? Well, um, I mean, presidential security was immeasurably tightened. And the sort of, you know, event that Kennedy did that day, an open air motorcade, which was quite common among presidents um, uh, in the uh, 40s, 50s and 60s, you know, that ended and, and is now quite rare. Um, uh, because of what happened in Dallas. So um, uh, that was, you know, security was, was tightened very much. Um, there was an anomaly. Shooting the president, killing the president was not a federal crime in 1963. Um, and so that law was changed and, and assassinating a president did become a federal, uh, a federal crime that way. Um, the, but the risk, you know, What's striking is no one at the Secret Service lost their job because of this ultimate failure in, in, in presidential security, which when I look back on that, I, I think that's one of the most astonishing things that happened. I mean, to me, if you're the head of the Secret Service, the president gets killed, you have failed to do your job, you're out, period. You know, I mean, right. this, this story that, oh, we, you know, we just didn't know who this guy was. You know, that, that's not credible. And, and yet and yet because the country wanted to move on, because the shock was so great, this this vital, handsome, charismatic man struck down in these baffling circumstances. And, you know, who could who could figure this out? And it's just like we have to just bury this. We just have to get it over with and forget about it. And that was the reaction of the government and all these federal agencies. We're not going to talk about this. This guy did it and nobody else is responsible. So nobody in the CIA, the FBI or the Secret Service lost their job after this ultimate failure. And I think that bred a lot of of the suspicion that followed. It was like nobody took responsibility for this thing. You know, it's like nobody was punished. So think of that. The president of the United States is shot dead in broad daylight and no one is ever brought to justice for the crime. And this is why this is why the story has endured and why, you know, people of your generation, young people are interested. It's like, how did that happen? And, and I don't think we have a good explanation. We still don't have a good explanation of what happened. The official story. I mean, I know a lot of people believe it. I know a lot of people want to believe it. The, the closer you look at it, the, the less it hangs together. You know, and it doesn't really make sense. It's got a lot of contradictions. And we've learned so much since then about what the Warren Commission didn't know. You know, they were wandering around in the dark when it came to Lee Harvey Oswald and the CIA. They didn't know. And they were not told. They were not told everything that people knew. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back after this. Just from your experience, what what do you think is what do you think happened? I mean, we, there are so many theories out there, but you've done a lot of research, and and I'm not saying that you know definitely, obviously, what happened. Yeah, no, no, but I mean, so I don't have a theory. I mean, I believe what a lot of people around President Kennedy came to believe, which was 
The president was killed by enemies in his own government who had the ability to make it look like something else. Mm. And President Johnson himself, the man who appointed the Warren Commission after he retired, he said on three different occasions, quite explicitly, that he did not believe Oswald had acted alone. He didn't have a theory about who did it. One time he thought he sort of suggested maybe Castro was behind it. Another time he thought maybe the CIA was behind it. He never expressed a strong opinion, except on the point that Oswald did not act alone. So that's President Johnson's conclusion. Jackie Kennedy and President Kennedy's brother, Bobby Kennedy, also came to that conclusion privately. They never said it publicly, but privately, they believed the president had been killed by enemies in his own government. Um, French President Charles de Gaulle uh, was a great admirer of President Kennedy's, uh, a, a hero of World War II. Um, he believed that Kennedy had been killed by enemies in his own government. Fidel Castro, the communist leader of Cuba, also made that allegation. So, you know, a lot of people behind the scenes came to this conclusion. And, and that's my conclusion. Now, who did it? That's very difficult to tell because a, a well-constructed conspiracy, a well-constructed covert operation, is designed to be invisible and it's designed to be indetectable. And so, you know, I don't think we can say with any confidence who was behind this. There's a lot of sort of plausible suspects mm -hmm. in the senior ranks of the CIA and the, and the Pentagon at that time. But, you know, there's not an overwhelming case against any one individual. So that's kind of my perspective. And that's, you know, that will not satisfy people because it's not a, it's not a very specific, you know, I can't point the finger at anybody. Um, and I can't prove a criminal case against anybody. But I think that's, that's what the evidence tells us. That's the most plausible explanation, yeah. which would me. which would kind of make sense because senior ranks of these organizations probably have that kind of training and that kind of knowledge to be able to cover up something like this. Not saying that it was that is the answer, but I mean, it would make sense. No, no, right? no. And I, 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 I think that's exactly right. I mean, you know. These were people who knew how to pull off an assassination and escape detection. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what the CIA was assigned to do by the U.S. government. So, you know, people had that skill set and they had the skill set to manipulate media. Um, and and so, you know, that's, I think, the most plausible explanation of what's of what happened. Mm -hmm. uh, this is kind of a random question, but I mm -hmm. was reading somewhere that the suit JFK wore on the day of his murder has never been cleaned. It remains in the National Archives, but it won't be on display for the public to view until 2103. <laughs> um, why so far away? And I mean, it is a little morbid that that has not been cleaned. Um, uh, the, the shirt and the jacket are held by the National Archives. Um, they actually um, have allowed certain people to see it, like qualified mm -hmm. medical personnel um, uh, who uh, have been given permission to examine it. Um, uh, not a lot of people, um, uh, but uh, I don't know about when they're going to make it public. I've never heard that, that it will be public at, you know, at some point in mm -hmm. the future. I mean, I think it's appropriate. It, it, you know, it's not something that should be open to the public. It is something that access like private be, thing yeah should, yeah it should be controlled and limited to people who have a genuine research need 
you know, to say that. And, and, and the research is important. You know, there's a, there's a hole in President Kennedy's shirt. So you can, that tells you, you know, something about the location of the wound in the back, which tells you something about where the gunfire came from. So there is sort of a forensic or evidentiary quality to that sort of evidence that has to be preserved. It's not just a it's not just a souvenir. Right. I I personally think it should not be <laughs> there for the public to view it. To, to your point, research reasons make make more sense. But um, I just found that very fascinating that that was even a thing. Um, just just to wrap things up, Jefferson, you've been so great. Uh, just, if someone's listening to this and they kind of have this newfound interest in this story, what is the most important thing for them to know? That the the story is not yet fully known and that there's document document the government is still withholding information about the assassination and so you know i would say don't assume any theory is true including the government's theory look at all the facts learn all the facts and then decide which theory makes the most sense to you um and if you want to know more about the uh the case and all of the evidence and all of the complications the best place to go is a website called maryferrell.org. Mary, M-A-R-Y, Farrell, F-E-R-R-E-L-L, maryferrell.org. And this is the largest online collection of JFK assassination records. It has introductions to the topics of all the things we've talked about today. And so hard to keep in your head all at once, but there's a good presentation there. Who was Kennedy? Who was Johnson? Who was Lee Harvey Oswald? What was the Warren Commission? You'll get good, concise answers to all of these questions. And if you're really interested in the subject, how did this happen? What what does November 22nd mean in American history? If you want to grapple with that complicated, big, important question, go to maryferrell.org and, and, and look around. And there's you'll see it, it, you have good introductions to the to the topic. And you can really begin to master it and learn about it in depth and come to your own conclusion. Well, I'm looking at it right now. It looks great. I appreciate all the information you have brought to this podcast. I think people are going to probably go home and do some research of their own now, which is which is, uh, you know, why we're, we're doing this. So thank you can so I, much for coming on. I appreciate it, Jefferson. OK, thank you. missed anything from class these are my office hours and here are some top takeaways about the life and legacy of jfk number one john f kennedy was killed on november 22nd 1963 making him the fourth american president assassinated lee harvey oswald was the man charged with assassinating the president but he denied it so no motive was ever revealed which leads us to number two after the Warren Commission was released, skepticism grew that maybe the government got things wrong. Information came out that they actually did know things about Lee Harvey Oswald before the assassination. And experts say that if Oswald did indeed fire that rifle, the paraffin test would have come back positive. That test came back negative. And number three, Jefferson says one of the most important things to remember is that this story hasn't concluded. There's still classified information and other facts still to be released that would help find even more answers in the future. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast on John F. Kennedy. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. 
This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.